Okay, got it. Today's date is August 20th, 2023, and we are reading from Big Book pages, where are we here? Pages 67, notice that the word to and including paragraph on page, the paragraph on page 68, which starts, we never apologize. Um, uh, uh, sign a K will be our, well, no, no, sign a K will be our reader. Who's our reader? Our reader is Tina. Ah, Tina will be our reader, followed by a 20-minute share by Sina, um, uh, who will share her experience and strength. And after that, we'll have time for sharing. Um, so here we go. Let's Hi, go Thank you. Hi, everybody. My name is Tina. I'm a food addict. Glad to be here. Um, bottom of 67 of the big book. Notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. But did what not we ourselves set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classified with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper even though we had no resentment in connection with them. We asked ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. Perhaps there is a better way, we think so, for we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We are in the world to play the role he assigns, just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. Pass. Thank you so much for your reading. And we'll now have a 20-minute share from Sina K. Come on in, Sina. Would you, by the way, Sina, would you like any notification, five minutes or anything? Yeah, I'm, that's okay. I'm going to just time myself, but thank you. Hi, I'm Sina. I'm a food addict, recovered, and just for today. Don't know about tomorrow. I got to stay in today. And I just wanted to start with um, the set aside prayer. God, please help me set aside everything I think I know about you, myself, others, and everything I think I know about my recovery, so I may have an open mind and a new experience with these things and come to know you better. And I just pray that that one thing that I say will will reach somebody here. And I am so glad that I was asked to share on on this portion because the next. <laughs> 
the next words are now about sex. So I'm glad I got the fear. I'm glad I got the fear paragraph. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of a word nerd and I looked up the word notice and it means observe, pay attention, become aware of. And then fear means unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, a mixed feeling of dread, or as many of us know, false evidence appearing real. So I never really thought of myself as a fearful person. I was a very serious kid and I, I, um, I didn't eat because of my circumstances, although I would like to think that I did. I would think that I ate because I was the fourth daughter and I felt ignored. Or I think that I ate because my dad was in the foreign service with the American embassy. And I went to five schools between kindergarten and eighth grade and three high schools and two colleges. But that's not why I ate. I think that I ate maybe because I failed classes in college or that I went after the wrong men because I wanted to get married or that when I did get married, we moved 600 miles away from my family. And then maybe I ate because when we wanted to start a family, I couldn't carry to term and I had four miscarriages. Or maybe I ate because when we opted for the plan of adoption, the birth mother changed her mind and we had to give back her baby. But none of these reasons are why I ate. And I also didn't eat that finally when our daughter was born, I was 43 and my husband was 55. No, I ate because I have a physical allergy and I have when my mental, I have a mental twist. And when these buildups happen, I go towards the foods because I think that's the way that I can cope in life. And I can't with sufficient force bring to mind the suffering of a binge of a month, a week, an hour ago. I'm incapable of doing that because when I start, I can't stop. And I can't stop from starting. Those are the reasons why I ate, not because of any other circumstances. I came into the 12-step recovery rooms in 1985. I was 23. I was in AA, NA, ACOA, OA. I didn't like the name Overuse Anonymous. It was not glamorous. I liked all the other names. It was like, oh, I'm in food recovery. I just kind of named it myself. But I, I... OA ruined my binging for me. It was just like all of a sudden I knew what I was doing. And I didn't get entire abstinence until after three years into the program when I found a meeting that was really strong. And I was given the big book and the AA 12 and 12. And I was told to read it. I was told to write on it. I was told to pray. I was given a food plan. Back in the day in 88, we were, you know, I was given a food plan and eliminated my trigger foods, which for me are sugar and flour of any kind, natural or artificial sweeteners. And it set a boundary how much I ate. You know, I weighed and measured my food and I still do to this day because that's how I know if I have enough or too much. I've been as low as 100 and I've been over 160. So I've run the gamut. So when I, um, So I entered into program in this strong program in 88 and I had entire abstinence. And then I moved to marry my husband. I couldn't find the strong meetings. And I realized that my focus was on meetings and sponsorship. It wasn't really on God, which is for me, the hero. That is what, that is the crux of this whole program is my belief in God. And so I, um, I, 
did as any normal addict does. I left program because I had abstinence. (laughs) I left after 20 years. I stopped taking my medicine and my faith had grown really strong. I said, God, I think that we can just do this by ourselves. And he said, beloved child, you're stepping out of the boat. Why are you doing that? But you know what? I didn't listen. And I started sponsoring myself, which I never recommend. And I kind of went along in and out. You know, I would have two, three years of abstinence and then I wouldn't. And then I would have six months and then I wouldn't. And I was all over the place till finally I found a program in 2017 that the food plan was similar to what I had done in the beginning. And I thought I can do this. And it was diet with group support. And I liked it because I had a food plan and I had a community because I really missed the fellowship. But I wasn't working on myself at all. So this this fear thing, it was just like it was kind of lurking in the background, but I really didn't I didn't address it whatsoever. And so finally, I kind of I didn't really take this program very seriously until December of 2020. And I got entire abstinence. And after a year. I, um, I was brought to my knees because family situations and I came back into recovery and I found a sponsor February of 22. And so I said, so I said, can you be my food sponsor? And she said, well, what about working the steps? I'm like, "Eh, all right. And so she gave me a workbook and I said, I don't need to do step one. I've got a year abstinence. I don't need to do steps two or three. I'm a Christian. I got it. Let's just go to four. This is what I need. And I said, and the only thing I really need to do in four was this relationship with my husband and my daughter. <laughs> I Yeah, what was going on there? A little bit of ego. And then, so we did resentments. And I said, yeah, I don't have any fears or harm. I think I'm good. So yeah, I kind of was still still in charge. And then by the grace of God, months later, I'm like, yeah, I think I really need to look at what's going on here. And I started doing a big book study that was online and I reported all my stuff to my sponsor. But still the fears, I just kind of glossed over that. I really didn't think anything about it. I knew I had resentments toward people, but the fear word, it was just like, what is, what is that? So finally, last summer, I found a big book sponsor and I asked, I said, will you take me through these steps? I think I'm missing something. And we did it, did this intensive deep dive, three weeks, all the steps, and my resentments and my fears. All of a sudden, I realized that fear was at the root of my resentments. And my one big fear was of what people thought of me. And then, you know, I finished it and I had this like fabulous experience. And I'm like, I've arrived, I've arrived. Yeah, no, because the next month, my daughter, who I had totally put as an idol in front of everything because we had just all the trauma and drama around, you know, having her in our lives. At 17, she announces when I'm 18, which would have been in six months, I'm moving out. I was like, wait, what? That's not the plan. You're not supposed to move out. You're going to go to community college and live at home. And then you're going to transfer and go to a state school and still live at home. So I thought, you're not supposed to move out yet. Now, these were in my mind. I didn't say any of these things, but I really felt the foundation of my life just started to crumble. And it was that same feeling 
of when we had the baby and our social worker called and said, the birth mother has changed her mind. I'm coming to pick up the baby. It was that same like horrific gut punch. My life will never be the same. That is what I went to. And that was fear. It was like, you know, we talk about the evil corroding thread. Corroding is like gnawing. And so what did I do? I made a call and I blamed everybody for this. I mean, I couldn't see what I was doing. I couldn't see that I was relying on self. I didn't go to God. I was relying on me and also false evidence appearing real. Like I wouldn't be able to exist without my daughter. And my poor husband, you know, of 31 years, you know, it's like, what's going to happen to him when my daughter's gone? How is this? How's our relationship going to be? So fast forward, I've done lots of 10 steps and inventories around my daughter leaving. And we have such a great relationship because back when she told me this, she says, yeah, I'm not even going to tell you anything because I know you don't want this. So, you know, I'm, you're just, you're just, you know, she's doing the teenage thing. You're just out. And now, you know, we spend time. She's a dog walker. We go to the gym. You know, we have a really great relationship. But here's the thing. She's still moving out. And I did want to read um, in the AA 12 and 12, um, step seven, it says, the chief activator of our defects has been self-centered fear, primarily fear that we would lose something we had already possessed or would fail to get something we demanded. Living upon a basis of unsatisfied demands, we were in a state of continual disturbance and frustration. Therefore, no peace was to be had unless we could find a means of reducing these demands. The difference between a demand and a simple request is plain to anyone. And that's where I had to be. I had to understand what was going on. I had to understand that I got back in the driver's seat. And, you know, it talks right here very clearly in these pages about self-reliance or God-reliance. Is it infinite God or is it finite self? I was relying on my finite self to carry me through this process of her moving out. And, you know, it's like I wanted God to give me all the mercy and grace that I needed for the next whatever month. But he kept telling me, now, child, stay in today, love her, encourage her, support her. You may not agree with what she's doing, love her, encourage her, support her. And I just kept hearing that over and over and over. And it was like this calm balm that would just come over me. And then when I started to get all riled up because something would happen, you know what? I had to just keep going back to that lover, encourager, supporter. I am not in the driver's seat. And I love that it says here, we never apologize for God. Never. I mean, he is the hero here because I could be a whirling dervish right now because here's the truth of it. My daughter didn't move around into the apartment complex around the corner. She's moving a thousand miles away. We just came back from where she's going to move. We found an apartment, it's furnished. She has leads on jobs. But yeah, it's not just I can get in the car. It's a 17-hour car ride. And But here's the beauty of it. She's getting a two-bedroom. So for, for you know, visitors. And so... 
yeah, who knows, you know, who knows the end of this story? Well, I know who knows. God knows the end of the story. You know, we could be seasonal people. We could eventually move. I, I don't know. God, God does know that. And I, I just, um, I also need to know that when I, I don't know about you guys, but I dislike discomfort so much. I don't want to sit in the discomfort. I want to reach for something to take away that discomfort. I mean, and it's the same. It's a thinking disease. So the discomfort, I could reach for social media. I could reach for shopping. I could reach for gossiping. I could reach for anything to take away the discomfort. But I'm told to sit in it first. And even a 10-step, sometimes like, like I immediately want to do a 10-step to take away the discomfort, but I have to go to God. It says very clearly, go to God first. So I have to learn just to sit in it. And I, I had this very thing yesterday. I just started feeling prickly. I didn't want to be in my skin. I wanted to go upstairs and just read something to take away the icky feeling. But it was like, pause, just pause. You're relying on finite self. You're not coming to me with your worries and your burdens. And so I'm learning to sit in discomfort and not reach for something. And that is a really hard thing for this addict to do. Because you know what? I got it all. I mean, I put down the alcohol and drugs really easily because I had the food. But And I put down the food now for two and a half whatever years. But I still have behaviors. I still have behaviors. So I'm always working on them, you know, and another thing that came up, I'm doing another fourth step now, and it's coming up this like victimhood. I'm like, where did that come from? You know, it's like just blaming everybody for whatever. Well, no, you know, I have to stay on my side of the street. I have to look at my stuff and stay out of other people's business because I want to be in there orchestrating not my business. And it's also not my business what people think of this whole situation of my daughter moving away. Because there's been, you know, people have been saying things like, she's not going to, she's not going to finish college. She's blah, 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 blah. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Not my life. It's her life. She has every right to do what she wants at 18. So today, you know what, I just need to stay in the, in the present moment. And I, I just want to really um, learn that I heard this the other day that recovery doesn't take away unpleasant things. It helps us, me, I'll, you know, first person, it helps me cope with unpleasant things. Just because I'm in recovery doesn't mean that things aren't going to happen. It means, though, that I have a chance to cope better without like spinning out of control. So, for today, I'm going to stay in recovery. For today, I'm going to keep looking at myself. For today, I'm going to go to infinite God, not finite self, because I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't know what I don't know. And the longer I'm abstinent, the more I realize how much I don't know. The longer I'm abstinent, I, I, need to work at more, not less. I can't back off. And, you know, I, that first year of abstinence before I came into recovery, I was untreated. I don't recommend that. I don't recommend putting down the food and not working on yourself. 
because, you know, in abstinence, I can have all the bedevilment. And so, but by the grace of God, you know, he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, yeah, are you ready to come back in? Are you ready to get back in the boat and sit in the center rather than fiddle around and think, you know, you know, what's best and quit sponsoring yourself. And I said, yes, I give up. I surrender. So, you know, for today, I'm just really super grateful to, to be in recovery and it, to be an Overeaters Anonymous, no matter how much I don't, don't like the name, but it's helping me today. It's helping me stay on my side of the street. It's helping me with my, my fears, you know, my assumptions, because that's what I go into a lot too, is when I'm fearful, I'm assuming, I'm assuming, I'm assuming I know the end of the story. I don't know the end of the story. All I know is that for today, August 20, you know, I'm, I'm here in the meeting and this is what's, what's happening. So I think I'm going to end with that. It looks like I've got two minutes left, but more time for shares and thank you. And I pass.